Hello and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. I hope you're all thriving with half term behind us, are enjoying once again being in the midst of our wonderful job of teaching music. It was great to see so many people at the recent MTA at Home conference and to catch up with members old and new. Thanks to everyone who helped organise it. I hope we don't have to wait another 12 months before another Zoom social. And whilst many of us are still in lockdown, some younger year groups are now back in school with years 10 and 12 to follow in the week beginning Monday the 15th of June. And different schools are, by necessity, handling this in different ways. All schools are doing their very best in an almost impossible and, yes, that word again, unprecedented situation. But our job is to teach music, and teach music we will, whether remotely or face-to-face, but with new restrictions. In this episode, then, we're going to delve into world music with Mike Simpson. James Manwaring will offer some excellent food for thought regarding the power of listening to music in a focused way. But first, another interview from the Expo back in March. Even though much of our focus has been on secondary music, we absolutely must not overlook the importance of the seeds sown in early years and primary school music lessons. As you'll know if you've been there, the Expo has exhibitors from every facet of music education. And as I wandered around, I found a terrific resource. I've just found a stall that says Music Express, the digital whole school scheme for primary music. And I'm here with Naomi Cook from Music Express. Naomi, what is Music Express? Okay, so Music Express, as you said, is a digital whole school scheme for primary music. It includes a lesson bank, which hosts the bulk of the content, which are lessons for early years all the way up to year six, a fully progressive scheme that includes assessment sheets, planning documents, skills progression documents, um, everything that you need for the dreaded O visit, as well as all of the practical step-by-step teaching notes. It's fully resourced, so you have your video content, your whiteboard your whiteboard displays, audio, performance and backing tracks, uh, synced up lyrics display, basically everything you need to deliver your lessons. It also includes a song bank of over 400 songs, which we're adding to all the time. There are warm-ups and skill builders, which are broken down further into year groups and specific focuses. So warm-ups are broken down into vocal warm-ups, physical warm-ups and focus builders. Skill builders are broken down by year group and then also again into beat, pitch and rhythm. We have in our instrumental resources section Ukulele Magic, which is a whole class tutorial for ukulele. And there are other supportive resources in there as well, such as a glossary for music terminology that some people may not be familiar with that they can refer to as they work their way through the scheme. How much musical uh, experience would a primary teacher need to have in advance to use this resource? None at all, so you can learn as you go through it. Um, Obviously it's more challenging if you're starting afresh to teach at year five and year six, but you could go through the scheme from early years and year one to learn some of the skills that are built up through the progression of the scheme as is designed for children to learn. But that's the whole point. It's really generalist friendly, it's really easy to use, but for the specialists that know exactly what they want to get, you can dip in, you can search by theme. So the units are arranged by cross-curricular themes. So there's lots of room for flexibility, but if you want something that's structured that you can just follow and do what it says, then you've got that option as well. Thanks to Naomi Cook, the music publishing manager of Collins Learning. 
Now, as the coronavirus's grip on the world begins to lessen, we're going to gradually return to the classroom, but in a very different way from before. Social distancing, the impracticability of sharing instruments or equipment, and the unknown risks of performing together, air particles and whatnot, all mean that the focus of our lessons could well change. But perhaps this is the phoenix-like moment for the sometimes overlooked art of, well, listening to music. Detailed listening, focused listening, repeated listening, valuable listening. I'm sure we all know that beautiful moment when we really start to get to know a new piece or album or track. And I guess that that's one of those things that we love to pass on to our students. But it can be difficult when the time-consuming pressures of life weigh us down. As ever, there is a music teacher among us who never fails to offer excellent words of wisdom and practical advice relevant to us all. Here is James Manwaring. Over the last few weeks, I've been listening to music more than ever. I guess it's one of the benefits of lockdown, a chance to listen to the music that I want to listen to, music that I like and enjoy. It's also been a chance to discover new music, and listen to pieces that I've wanted to listen to for a while. I love listening to music and as a music teacher I think it's so important that I keep up to date with music as well as knowing music from the past. And what I really enjoy is discovering music and then sharing it with my students. When I go into a lesson I think it's really important that I know lots of musical examples, particularly with the Edexcel um, GCSE and A-level where there's a lot of emphasis on wider listening. I pride myself on being able to point students in the direction of pieces of music that they can listen to to get inspired or to help them with their composition. I think music is all about listening and the best CPD that we can do as music teachers is to listen to music. I love going to the Royal Opera House and I'm really missing not being able to go at the moment but I love going because I get to just sit and absorb and enjoy music. I love going to concerts, I love watching performances on TV and it's been great that there's been so many um, concert halls and opera houses streaming music. I don't know where I'd be without my Apple Music subscription because it just means that I can listen to whatever I want whenever I want. I remember when I was younger and listening to music, particularly classical music, involved a trip to the library or a trip into London to find a CD that you've been looking for. And then when eBay came along, hunting around and trying to find um, recordings that you then got in the post. And I know that some people still enjoy listening to CDs. So listening is really important. And I think it's an activity that we should be doing with our students, whether they're with us in the classroom or whether they're at home. And I wrote a blog this week called Deliberate Listening. And this was this idea behind when we listen to music, we listen to it deliberately. We choose something that we're going to listen to and we choose it because we want to learn from it. And if we can teach our students to deliberately listen to music, then we can teach them to approach a piece of music and learn from it. These kind of deliberate music lessons involve you as the teacher picking a piece, knowing that piece well, knowing some of the context and then playing it to your students, which is something you could do at home over Zoom or Teams or whatever online learning platform you choose. And then having listened to it, it's about unpacking that piece with questioning techniques, asking students how it made them feel, what they thought about it. Then maybe asking students when they think it was written, who might have composed it, why did they compose it? and then talking to them about the musical features and really unpacking it. I talked about the concept of posing questions, then pausing to let students think, then pouncing on a student, asking them, right, what do you think? 
and then bouncing to another student to pick up on where that student left off. And these kind of lessons are exciting and students enjoy being on the edge of their seats, not knowing whether you're going to ask them a question or not. And then suddenly the question comes to them and they have to think on their feet. And this technique of questioning is one of a myriad of techniques and I'm sure that you will use different ones in your classrooms. But I just do really encourage you over the next couple of weeks to really put listening in the forefront and to really think about how can we bring music to life, whether it be in our online teaching, whether it be when we're back in the classroom. If we're in a classroom situation during this coronavirus pandemic where we can't be doing the normal stuff like using computers and maybe we've got social distancing, listening is perfect. You can have students sat around a room. It can be a big room. It could be the the main hall if you need to, but it might be your classroom. Um, It doesn't matter how many students you've got, but you can play them some music. My advice is listen to as much as you can as a teacher and go into that lesson passionate about that piece that you're going to show them. But also don't just pick pieces that are going to be easy for them to listen to. Pick pieces that are going to challenge them as listeners because I think that's really important too. And I think the more we deliberately listen to music, the better. I hope that that's a helpful little tip for some home learning or some in-school learning. And please do um, have a read of my blog um, if you want to get a few more details. And I'd love to know what you've been listening to. So do share on Twitter because I love seeing what music teachers are listening to. Many thanks to James Manwaring. And he's right, isn't he? The pressures of life can rob us of that childlike thrill of discovering a new piece and sharing it. I started to share some new discoveries on the MTA Staff Room Facebook page, but, well, only managed a couple of times before letting it slip. Sorry about that. But let's start that up again. Let's share the music that we love with each other for everyone's benefit. I'm sure between us we have pretty much all bases covered. And speaking of covering bases, one extremely popular area of music to teach is world music, whatever that means. I'm always disheartened when I hear people making huge generalisations about hundreds or thousands of years of music from an entire continent, as if it can be reduced to just a few assessment criteria. But, you know, we can't be experts in everything, can we? And sometimes we have to deliver, essentially, the few things that we do know about a topic. And that's when we turn to an expert for guidance. Mike Simpson runs InspireWorks UK, who specialise in the delivery of top quality world music courses from a single day to longer. They're also double world record holders and triple music teacher awards finalists. But as Mike is far too modest to bring that up, I thought I would. As someone who is always keen to expand his musical knowledge and who also had some unanswered questions about what world music actually means, I was very happy to catch up with Mike. Mike, thank you very much for joining me. You're very welcome. Could you tell me how you got into, for want of a better term, world music? Sure. Well, I'm the fourth generation of drummers in my family. My dad, my grandfather and great-grandfather um, all played drums um, in Ireland, in sort of the marching band tradition. And then my parents lived in West Africa in the early 70s. And we always had a lot of African music at home. And being a drummer, I really got into a lot of those different styles of music. And, you know, a lot of these world music styles are very percussive. So coming from a percussion point of view, it really inspired me. I originally trained as a classical percussionist, but then found that I was a little bit sort of tired of not playing very much in a symphony orchestra and wanted us to play more. So that's where I really got inspired by a particular of African music to begin with and then looked at other styles from there. I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'm going to now. The term African music, it's always been a slight sticking point with me and I'm sure with others that Africa is sometimes considered to be a place as opposed to a massive, massive continent with lots of traditions. Mm. Now, of course, you're an expert, so I'm going to ask you why you use that term and also what you mean by it 
get in the wider picture? Sure, I think normally when we say African music, I mean, in a way, in my head, I'm thinking West African, particularly when it's the drumming, and particularly when it's West African, it's djembe. Now, djembe, you know, originally came from those five West African countries, Mali, Senegal, the Gambia, Burkina Faso, and Ghana. But now you'd find it pretty much all over Africa. But it's very much coming from that area there, and it's that tradition, the Malinke tradition, that I'm sort of thinking of. The other popular stars as well in Africa, of course, you get a lot of lovely vocal music coming from South Africa and Southern Africa, and we do cover some of that as well, which links in with the Southern African gumboot dancing. But again, it's with my percussionist head on. It's the West African drumming, which is far more interesting from a percussion point of view. I suppose that ties in with the term world music, which I've always found to be such a a broad and general term because stated in the obvious, but it covers the whole globe. So is there something that links, in inverted commas, world music together? So when we talk about a world music uh, scheme of work, there's something we should be looking for that's common to everything. Sure, yeah. I mean, it was about eight years ago, Ryan God Education asked me to write a series of books on how to teach different styles of world music. And in terms of education, from an education point of view, it's the quartet of West African drumming, Brazilian samba drumming, Indonesian gamelan and Caribbean steel pans. Now, you also get other things as well. You also get Indian doll drumming. That's often sort of the fifth thing, really. But really, if you're going to start looking at world music, it's those four different genres that are very distinct from each other and that you can really be delving in a lot to and are very accessible in a classroom context. Okay, so can you tell me why I should include world music in my scheme of work? I think it's when we look at the whole breadth of the the depth of culture that you get from them, which you don't get from looking at a lot of Western classical styles. I mean, if you look at, for example, West African drumming, every single piece is played for a specific reason. So you can't just learn it as a rhythm or as a song. You've got to understand why is that piece of music played. So there's just so much cultural stuff that you can get into it. And I think a lot of that we've lost in our culture. I mean, the only sort of in a way trivial example you could use is it would be wrong for me to sing happy birthday to you Patrick if it's not your birthday today but every single piece of West African music is played for a specific reason so it would be wrong to play a certain piece if you hadn't just been um, having a wedding or if you hadn't just been having a funeral you know different things like that so it's a lot of the cultural understanding in schools we see a lot of stuff about British values and about tolerance and all these different things that really help across curricula well the music should be right at the forefront of that and it's the kind of thing that we can as music departments saying this is what we're doing to promote all these things and be championing it way above any other department in school. What is it that I could learn from the world music that you're describing that I couldn't for example from traditional British music because what makes the traditional music of Indonesia or the Caribbean more uh, worthy of study shall we say than the traditional music of the British Isles? Sure, well, I think there's a couple of things, really. I mean, if you look at, say, Gamelan from Indonesia, it's a completely unique style that's, that's really um, in your face when you go there. Um, I was fortunate to live in Bali for a while, and you hear and see Gamelan music played all day, every day, in different contexts. And you hear people walking down the street whistling Gamelan tones rather than the Western tones we're used to. And I think British folk music is tiny in comparison. You know, if you ask the average person on the street in Britain what folk song do you know from the British Isles? They'd probably really struggle to name one. But in Indonesia and these other styles, it's it's the only style they listen to. I mean, so much so my gamelan teacher in Bali really thought that every... He was an amazing gamelan musician, but he would say to me, oh, yes, but well, all music is, is cyclical in, it, in its patterns because he didn't realise that we have other styles of music which is linear rather than cyclical. And it's just things like that that are just so ingrained in their society that it's hard to compare it in a way to 
to British folk music. Not that there's anything wrong with British folk music, and I know there's some great traditions around the country. You see a lot of Hampshire step dancing and things like that, which I know a lot of schools in the south of England are doing, um, and that's great. But I think these world music styles, it's just so much of the culture that comes in for this part of them, which we wouldn't get if we're just doing British folk music. Okay, so I've decided I'm going to include some world music in my scheme of work. I'm a complete novice. Where do I start? Sure, I suppose it's first of all looking to see what percussion instruments you've already got in the department in school. So if you have a lot of what we'd call hand drums, drums you play with the hands rather than sticks, then there's a lot of West African music you could do very easily on that. So if you've got some djembes or some congas or bongos, things like that you could do. If you've got a drum kit or even two drum kits in school, then you could very easily pull that apart and use the tom-toms to create a very convincing Brazilian samba. I would start by first of all saying, what instruments I've already got? What can I do without spending any money um, to be able to do some convincing music? Also, if you've got a lot of handheld percussion like maracas, clave, guiros, things like that, you can do a great Cuban thing as well. Of course, if you do the Cuban stuff, you can get in a lot of Cuban piano riffs and things as well, which is really, really nice. And then I think the other thing to look at is then your own personal skill and experience as well of, you know, if you're going to do a whole class, essentially percussion thing, how confident would you be at leading that yourself? And samba, I think, possibly is the most skilled that you'd need to be as a facilitator to lead that, where you've got maybe five or six different rhythmic parts, people playing different types of percussion instruments together. And for you to really think about how could you yourself be making sure the whole class is playing in time with each other and they're different, different things. So there's, there's various teaching resources around to help you with that, various videos around as well. Some of them are free, some of them you pay for. But I think that would be maybe what to look at. That's certainly what I would be doing if I was going to start off. Right, this all sounds fantastic. I'm, I've decided I'm going to definitely become a world music facilitator. What do I start listening to? Where do I turn to? Obviously, we've got online resources, but which musicians, which acts, which bands, which, which groups do I now start listening to to build up my knowledge? Well, I think if you're going to look at, let's start with West African drumming. So the djembe is the, the instrument everyone thinks of when they think of West African music. So an artist called Mamadi Keita, he is, I think, in his late 60s now. He is absolutely amazing djembe teacher and a real exponent of, of this style. And there's, if you just have to tap his name into YouTube, you'll find tons and tons of videos. He's a great performer, so I know a lot of schools are showing videos of him as well. And when you see him do a solo, he's got a huge big smile on his face. It's great fun to see. He's part of it. Remind me of his name and how you spell it. Yeah. So Mamadi is his first name. So M-A-M-A-D-Y. And Kata is his second name. Kata's quite a popular um, second name. It's K-E-I-T-A. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a great guy. I've been fortunate to have some lessons with him in the past. Um, and he's really, really clear with his teaching. And if you can get any of his teaching videos online, there's a few around YouTube. Uh, the way he breaks down a piece is really, really clear. He's very good at showing what each part has to play. And he always relates it to the dance or the culture as well. So I would start with him. Uh, for Samba, that's the other style which I think is probably the most successful for schools. So, you know, if you, like I said before, where you can pull apart different drum kits and different instruments. I would look at Rio-style samba first, because within Brazil, you know, Brazil is the largest country in South America, there's many different styles of samba throughout the whole country. Rio is what everyone thinks of when they think of samba, and obviously there's loads and loads of stuff on the internet um, to do with the Rio Carnival. The only slight word of warning is that, of course, in Rio, they do have um, a different culture, and it's often quite hard to find videos where 
particular ladies are appropriately dressed. So you might want to just vet that before you show a video like that in the classroom. But the styles of drumming, there's various different samba groups from Rio. Um, the Portella samba group, they're amazing. Um, it's worth just having a look at some of them. They've, they've often won the Rio Carnival, so they're, they're really good at looking at that. And they've also got a really good samba group as well. And a scholar to samba is what they'd call it. And it, there's some great videos of their children's samba group playing um, on, on the internet as well. You better find on YouTube. Wonderful. Mike, thank you so much. And while I've got you here, tell me the name of your company and where teachers can find you. We're called Inspire Works and our website is inspire-works.co.uk and we're all on all the social media and it's Inspire Works UK. Brilliant, Mike. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you to Mike Simpson from Inspire Works UK and to our other contributors, Naomi Cook from HarperCollins and James Manwaring. And that's it for another edition of Teaching Notes, the Music Teachers Association's podcast. If you're enjoying these podcasts, and pleasingly many of you seem to be, please do consider contributing. I'd love to chat to you about any aspect of music education, new initiatives, new ideas, or even if you want to field a query you may have about an area of music education that we can then provide an answer to. Just drop me a line media at musicteachers.org If you're not a member of the MTA then please do join us it's not expensive just over £60 a year for which you get twice weekly Zoom meetings the staff room on Facebook the Termly magazine ensemble with loads of articles and resources and the friendship and support network that is for me the most valuable part of this august association So from me Patrick Johns until next week goodbye Goodbye